Hi, I'm Adam Phillips, and I love comics. Sure, I love superhero comics, but I also love comics that are funny, or romantic, or educational, or even kind of filthy. Some have been around for decades, but I have a special place in my heart for the ones that came and went in the blink of an eye. We call them one-shots, and some of them you may have heard of, while others might make you ask, why? This is One-Shot Wonders. Hey everybody, welcome back to One-Shot Wonders with Adam Phillips. Today we have a special guest, Douglas Woke, who is the author of the brand new book, All of the Marvels, A Journey to the Ends of the Biggest Story Ever Told. And it is going to be a real interesting book. I can't wait to read it because I loved his previous book about comics, reading comics, how graphic novels work, and what they mean. Douglas has a real interesting point of view. He's written for a ton of magazines. He is, are you a contributor to or founder of HighLowBrow.com? I'm contributor to it. It's uh, Joshua Glenn's thing. Gotcha. Uh, I was looking at that earlier today, which I, I wasn't really familiar with before, and it's very cool. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. It is. Uh, I was going through all the best adventure and action and science fiction novels of the 70s or whatever in the 80s. And it's like, man, there's a lot of content on that side. So we are here today to talk about a comic from Marvel that published on November 6, 1996, according to Mike's Amazing World of Comics. And it is called Spider-Man 101 Ways to End the Clone Saga. And Douglas, this was your choice. So please tell people uh, why this one. It sure is. This is a weird, <laughs> weird, weird comic. This is so Marvel every so often publishes comics that make fun of itself. They do self-parody things. They do humor things. You know, the old crazy magazine and crazy comic and art before that. What the, if you remember back in the, yep. the 90s, which was, you know, Pretty solid self-parody. Occasionally, they will do a comic that is more about the internal workings of Marvel itself. And there's been a few of those. There was a, a Secret Wars 2, T-O-O, from a few years ago, mm -hmm. was essentially, you know, Jonathan Hickman dishing the dirt on himself. Uh, there was a, a revival of uh, one of their old uh, humor things recently where Nick Spencer did... You know, a parody of his his own secret empire, mm -hmm. but this Spider Man One Hundred Ways to End the Clone Saga is the most kind of sustained and bitter comedy <laughs> Marvel has ever published about what goes on in its offices. Yeah, it's true. And if I can, you know, actually, this tradition even goes back to the mid '60s because oh, yeah. a lot of the annuals used to have these short pieces: how Stan and Steve do Spider Man, and it would yeah. always be. You know, the two of them yelling at each other, like, you write it. Oh, you write it. <laughs> and, you know, those are great because all of the jokes are at Stan Lee's expense. Yeah. And he wrote all of them. Like, he's the one putting these jokes into Steve Ditko's mouth and his own. Mm -hmm. 101 Ways to End the Clone Saga. This came out, uh, it's cover date of January 1997. As you say, it came out in November 96. So, within weeks after the clone saga ended. Mm -hmm. so this was immediately after it. This is Marvel announcing like, look, we're not that happy with it either, but we're <laughs> like kind of backed into a corner. Mm -hmm. So 
I should probably explain what the Clone Saga was. Right. So it had its roots back in the mid-1970s. There's a story where you know, the Jackal has cloned Peter Parker, and all of a sudden there's two Spider-Men, and they fight, and in the middle of the fight, uh, accidentally one of them gets killed, and the one who survived is like, well, I don't know whether the clone is me or him, but uh, let's just assume I'm the real one, and he drops the clone down the uh, the smokestack of a building. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, it is kind of his Spider-Man No More moment. It's mm-hmm. like, instead of discarding his costume, his, he's discarding his entire other self and swings away from it. I thought that was pretty grim at the time, by the way. Oh, yeah, it's super grim. It ended, actually, you know, Jerry Conway wrote the first part of it, and then Len Wein took over. Yeah. And... That's that's the point where Conway, who was really only the second person to write Spider-Man on an ongoing basis and had taken over when he was an actual teenager, that is his leave-taking from Spider-Man originally, mm-hmm. like getting rid of the other self. Mm-hmm. So in the mid-1990s, this plot starts you know, in, in 1994. There is a mysterious stranger who is hanging around, and it turns out that it's the clone who survived and <laughs> has been wandering America ever since uh, he has bleached out his hair. He's now calling himself Ben Riley. Mm-hmm. And the question is like, okay, is he the original Spider-Man or is the one we've been following for the last 20 years, the original Spider-Man now narratively, it makes a lot of sense for, Ben to be the original one because at this point, you know, Peter Parker is married. He's professionally successful. Mm-hmm. It Spider-Man can't be the coming of age story that it had been for its first couple of decades. Like how is this kid who has lost everything multiple times over going to build himself up to the point where he can integrate with society? Like now he's married, he's successful. He's not hated by everybody anymore. And his story is kind of over and it has to go on in three or four new comics a month anyway. Mm -hmm. So the idea was initially that Ben Riley, who's the one who had been AWOL since the mid seventies would turn out to be the, uh, the original one. And the Peter Parker that we'd known had been following would retire to Portland, Oregon with Mary Jane. Ah, uh, and you know, she was pregnant at this point and you know, Aunt May dies and uh, they, there's a you know, touching death scene. Uh, <laughs> and the idea is like now, he, you know, his, his aunt knew his secret all along and was proud of him. And he's ready. You know, this kid who's lost his father twice over is ready to become a father himself and retire and settle down. And that's the end of his story. And in the meantime, we've got Ben Riley, who has been a no person for ages and has mm-hmm. just been walking the earth. And now he is taking over Spider-Man and he has to figure out who he is. So it once again, goes back to this core idea of Spider-Man, like who are you? Who are you going to become? What can you right. make yourself? The problem is that this was not going to fly. Well, that was one of the problems. Mm-hmm. Fans were, outraged at the idea that 
they had been following a fake for 20 years. <laughs> they were yeah. very attached to Peter being married to Mary Jane, as they still are, even though they've been unmarried for 15 years. Yeah, yeah. You couldn't do this. And uh, there's an amazing blog by an editorial assistant who worked on these books during this time called The Life of Riley. Mm. The Spider-Man office was getting a lot of pressure from the Marvel business office to kind of keep this clone thing going because it was it was intriguing people. The clone had kind of a second identity as the Scarlet Spider. And for a couple of weeks, like, all the Spider-Man books were re replaced by you. Know, the Amazing Scarlet Spider and the Spectacular Scarlet Spider and Web of Scarlet Spider. Mm -hmm. And then there were other reasons why, no, you just need to keep the story going a little bit longer. It ended up stretching on for two years. In the yeah. middle of it, Kurt Busiek, who is responsible for more like really clever ideas than he ever gets credit for, uh -huh. came up with a fantastic... <laughs> But, you know, I'm, he's the person who came up with the idea of, you know, Jean Grey being in a cocoon under Jamaica Bay. Oh, yeah. Uh, that, like, years before X Factor was proposed, he came up with this. So, spo with I'm going to give you a quick, real quick spoiler alert. Kurt's one of my oldest friends. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. Uh, Kurt's amazing. Yeah. He apparently came up with the idea that here's a great plot hook. What if you, know, you went to that smokestack where the body got dumped? And you find a skeleton inside it. And mm. that's also Peter Parker. Uh -huh. And everyone's like, that's a great idea. And it is a great idea. Yeah. Except neither he nor anybody else figured out how it was going to be resolved. So this is the position that the Spider-Man office found itself in. They had these two versions of Peter running around. And the mystery of like the third one that was the skeleton and somebody's the real one and somebody's not. And how are we going to end this story? Yeah. And wow. Nobody could come up with a way to end it that made sense and was <laughs> dramatically satisfying and put the titles in an interesting place to go going forward. Cause you know, there's Spider-Man, there's Amazing Spider-Man, there's Spectacular Spider-Man, mm -hmm. there's Web of Spider-Man, mm -hmm. there's Spider-Man Unlimited, which is the quarterly title. Yep. You know, there's Spider-Man Team-Up uh, around this time starts. And that's a lot of stories Yeah. that like are going to have to be in a really, really solid place, narratively speaking. Right. And they're all by different teams and there's a lot of forward momentum on all of them. Like it's yeah. very hard to find the time like they do now or more recently to have, you know, writer conferences where you can work out all these story beats and everyone sort of agrees to it. You know, find, finding a way to push pause for a minute is very difficult. Yeah. So this issue, this 101 Ways to End the Clone Saga, named after the, you know, I guess... 1980s book 101 uses for a dead cat mm -hmm. is literally about the discussions within the spider-man office how do we end this story <laughs> it's really funny yeah and i mean i only just read this thing like I, I was saying to you earlier you know i'm not super familiar with this whole clone saga it 
this when this was coming out, I was uh, starting at DC Comics, and I was really, you know, up to my ears in DC lore. So I wasn't really paying that much attention to Marvel at the time, which is funny to me because, like, I growing up, I was a total Marvel zombie. But at this point, I just wasn't really paying that much attention. But reading this comic, first of all, yeah, it's really funny. And it's, I mean, how often do you get a comic with the editors on the cover? Great. And I know so many of these people. It's like, this is crazy. <laughs> uh, and I have uh, my question reading that was, does this, does this comic take place on Earth Prime? Uh, we'll, Earth Prime, well, well the, you know, the, DC would be Earth Prime. Uh, in, uh, yeah. in the Marvel Universe, it's, it's Earth 1218. Ah, there you go. I had a feeling there was a, the, an equivalent. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Th- this this ostensibly is that. Uh, as opposed to the the, the uh, there are a number of comics that are about the Marvel comics the Marvel comics office on six one six. This is not that. Mm. Right. Okay. <laughs> that- <laughs> so you, you mentioned that you you know a lot of the the people and who appear as characters in this. Yeah. How how uh, accurate a portrait would you say it is of them? Well, I don't think I've ever seen Bob Harris as angry as he's portrayed here. <laughs> like, I cannot think of a time I've seen Bob yell, and I'm sure he has yelled. But, you know, I've worked with him on and off for many years. Don't think I've ever seen him yelling. On the okay. other hand, yes, Bob, yes, Ralph Macchio was known for coming in late, for sure. <laughs> and yes, he had... a fancy house with a pool and a tennis court and things. And yes, at the end of the issue, Ski comes in and says, Hey, we need more, we need more Spider-Man content. And I'm like, Oh my God, how many times have I heard Ski say stuff like that? Who is Ski? Uh, So Ski is James Sokolowski and he would kill me if I used his name, James. He doesn't like being called James. He likes to be called Jim, if anything, but Ski is really what he prefers most of all. He was like a publishing planning guy at Marvel for many years he was, um, I want to say, associate publisher or something before that at High Times. Huh. And then he was in, like, retailer sales and marketing at DC for a long time and publishing planning at DC before that. He's bounced around a bunch. So, and then he was, uh, he was something or other at Archie Comics for quite a while. And he left DC last year in the same sort of, unfortunate exodus that you know swept me out the door right and now he's with uh, dynamite so okay you know great guy loving the pieces my one of my i I don't think he'll mind me saying this but you know we used to it it would be like the team that he led going to uh, san diego con would be like me him and a couple of other sales guys and every once in a while, he would text, you know, group text us and go, where are you guys? And um, we'd all say, oh, we're talking to this retailer. Or we're talking to that distributor or whatever. And he'd say, well, meet me up here in 10 minutes. I want to get a drink. And that, that was, a you know, a very typical ski move. So, wow. Yeah. Okay. Always fun. He's a great guy. <laughs> anyway, so, yeah, I know those guys and a couple of other of these I've met a little bit. So this issue, though, uh, is written by Mark Bernardo, who seems to be the assistant editor in the Spider-Man office. Okay. Uh, art by Ben Herrera, inked by Mike, uh, Mike Christian, who I'm not super familiar with either of their work. But, you know, it's like a nice 
cartoony drawing style and considering half this issue at least is um, the editorial people wandering around. You don't need to have a real right. heroic, you know, this, this isn't John Buscema artwork. This is, this right. is fun and loose and silly. So this is actually edited by Ralph Macchio, who allows himself to be portrayed as coming in extremely late and immediately going to lunch and stuff. It's really funny. But I love the credit tolerated by Bob Harris. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> you know, and I'm sure this is a way to get another Spider-Man book out the way Ski asks for toward the end. Oh, and I just noticed Stanley hesitantly presents 101 ways to end the clone saga. So, yeah. Are there ways in this that they present in this comic that you feel work or don't work or what? Well, I mean, the issue is that nothing works. Uh, there's, there's, <laughs> I, that's, that is literally the problem. Like, there's, there's no way to do something that is going to be satisfying. Mm hmm. Particularly not to everyone, by the way. Particularly not to everyone, yeah. You know, there's early on, one of the first things that's uh, suggested is, like, this takes Mary Jane out of the picture, but Mary Jane is really, really popular. You, d Yeah, Mary Jane's nowhere in, in sight. Spidey's essentially a single guy again. Doesn't this all just delay the inevitable rather than solve the problem? And someone else mm -hmm. says, yeah, do we really want, so quickly want to write MJ out of the book? The fans would despise us. She still places in a lot of the fan awards, you know holds up a, an award that says something like this inner lingerie female supporting <laughs> <Yes>. character. <laughs> yep, I saw that. Yeah. There's a, a bit of a dispute between two different Spider-Man over how big their eyes are drawn. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Hey, those big eyes are very advantageous, if he, one of them says. There's a few good digs like that in there, I noticed. What's fascinating is that one of the proposed solutions is actually making Mephisto solve everything. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's like, and it's dismissed as like, that's, that's the worst solution. It breaks all the rules of Spider-Man. It breaks everything about the character. <laughs> it solves everything, but, but at what cost? Right. That said, you know, the Spider-Man books didn't get really, really interesting for me again until got rid of Mary Jane, got mm. rid of the, got rid of the marriage, got rid of all that cruft that had been piled onto it, and let it be a comic about Peter Parker as somebody who has to pull himself up from nothing. Right, because that you know, that's what Peter Parker's story is. It, it is the itsy bitsy yeah. spider. <laughs> you know, he, he keeps falling down and having to work his way back up again. Mm -hmm. It's also a romantic comedy. It is a romance book. And if you've got somebody who's already got their happily ever after relationship, then yeah. it can't be that anymore. For sure. And we were just talking about this recently on an episode of Defenders Dialogue uh, with Carr and Adam. About how so there's a three part Marvel team ups um, storyline where Spider Man teams up with Nighthawk, then Valkyrie, and then there's a Human Torch Doctor Strange team up, and it's all one story. But right. I was saying to you know Cardi Angelo, my my partner on that podcast, that like uh, this reminds me of the stuff that drove me crazy about Spider Man, which is like he has so many problems and he never never stops talking about them. But right. that was also because at the time there wasn't really a 
and you know any assumption that like kids were buying it from one issue to the next necessarily. Right. So you kind of you constantly had to reintroduce those problems, but they're but they're essential to the character. That's mm-hmm. that's what's interesting about him. It's what's annoying about yeah. him, but it's what's interesting about him. <laughs> There's another Marvel team up story that gets touched on here. Yep. That's uh, it's interesting because it is one that I'm talking about in just a couple of months on my own podcast, the Voice of Latveria, the Doctor Doom podcast. It's a a story where you know, Spider-Man takes Doctor Doom's time platform and ends up at the Salem Witch Trials with the Vision Scarlet Witch, and then yeah. ends up with like. Deathlock and Kill Raven and blah 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 and the idea is like well maybe one of those led to an alternate timeline so there's an extra Peter Parker from that instead of the clone and <laughs> you can't you can't trust those time platforms but then he has to use uh, the time platform to go back because Ben Riley is actually the same person as Peter Parker but he's just five years older but no wouldn't somebody have noticed if one of the characters was suddenly five years older than they were supposed to be that that's not going to that's not going to fix <laughs> That gets shot shot down for the same reason. All right. I can't think of a way to resolve the clone saga that would have been clearer or better than the decidedly unclear, not very good version that we got. Mm. Okay. Which is the problem of going into it an interesting everything overturning kind of setup that you're intending to reverse at some point without a clear idea of how it's going to end. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And again, that this touches on something we've been talking about in the other podcast, but I'll, you know, it applies here too, of course, which is that a lot of the Marvel writers and probably other writers as well, DC or wherever, you know, they would, put something into a story and figure out how to resolve it later. But when you're doing something that this, that's this big, that affects multiple books and multiple writers and really, you know, digs up and turns over continuity for a character, you have to have a, a plan. <laughs> yeah. You can't just wing it and hope that nobody notices till, you know, years later that there was never a, a resolution to that elf with the gun storyline or whatever. Right. right. Uh, and Glenn Bre- Glenn Greenberg actually goes into this a bunch in uh, that, mm-hmm. that Life of Riley blog. And we see him as a character in here, and he he uh, proposes... he He's actually the one who proposes the Mephisto solution. Uh, yes. But he talks about on on the blog, like, the many, many discussions that they had and just months on end of racking their brains to come up with something that wouldn't break the character and would mm-hmm. open up more stories instead of shutting down stories. Right. You kind of get that here in the uh, restaurant scene <laughs> yeah, where they're just like, you know, Ralph is just losing his, his train of thought completely in trying to figure this all out. Right. That's pretty funny. Uh, and Peter Sanderson shows up as like the company. Oh, that was leader. Peter. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's Sorry. He, they just call him Peter. They just call him Peter, and I was like, "Is that supposed to be Sanderson?" It is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's not. It's not Peter David. <laughs> I didn't really think it was Peter David, but yeah, um, I just couldn't quite convince myself that it was Peter Sanderson. But okay, fair enough. No, it's to, it's totally Peter Sanderson, like pointing out what's fundamentally unfixably wrong with all the theories that have been proposed so far, and then uh, yeah, Tom Tom DeFalco wanders in and comes up with a <laughs> real, real simple solution. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
I guess Tom had left staff at this point. Huh. It, it reads like that. There had been like tiny little cartoons on the bullpen Bolton's page for a few years at this point that were yes. always just like really pointedly making fun of Tom DeFalco. Yeah. And he seemed to like it. I mean, yeah. I, Rick Parker, who drew most of those, puts them on Facebook once in a while and talks about how Tom laughed his ass off or whatever. Oh, that's great. Um, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, you're right. I forgot Tom DeFalco's in here, who I know a little bit, and Peter, who I haven't talked to in a long time, but I am friendly with him, too. You know. And, yeah, it's really funny that he just presents this. They didn't capture his accent but because <laughs> he has a very strong, like, Boston accent. But, you know, he presents this whole sort of diatribe about why what you're saying it can't work and all this and just goes on and on. And then DeFalco comes in with that very simple, like, yeah, just do this and this. Now, what about this Thunderstrike graphic novel I'm trying to sell you guys? <laughs> it's really funny. Actually, I think my favorite line of dialogue in here is, Greenberg, what have I told you about talking like a narrative caption? <laughs> yeah, really. It's great. Marvel had a long run of these kind of weird one shots. I mean, this is a late in the in, in the run of them as far as I can tell, but you know, there was like there were tons of them in the eighties and I'm sure going into the nineties at least. I just did an episode recently, uh, a solo episode on the generic comic. Yes. This is a lot of fun. And I got to talk about the whole, you know, generic comic uh, generic products yeah. fa- uh, craze in the eighties and all that. It's the official Marvel No Prize book. Yeah, I'm trying to find copies of a lot of these still, by the way. The No Prize book, there's... Um, there's a really fun one called Marvel Riot, which came yeah, out okay. right, a- right after the Age of Apocalypse and oh. is really just like tearing into the Age of Apocalypse with all the claws. Nice. The one I was trying to think of for a second was the Marvel Fumetti book. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's just a lot of them anyway. Yeah, uh, yeah so here's Ski. He's smoking. What a surprise. <laughs> I don't know Andy Ball, and I've no, I know the name John Dokes. Like Ski mentions him all the time, but anyway, and yes, Ski was a—he wasn't personally a character, but there was a character named Ski in Ghost Rider named after him. Uh-huh. He, you know, that's a a badge of honor for him, of course. You know, twenty years earlier, Wendy and Richard Peeney had been recurring characters in Ghost Rider. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, like when. Uh, like seventy four, seventy five, like when when they were well known in fan circles as yeah. you know, cosplay types. Wow, I'll have to take a look for that. I read some of that Ghost Rider stuff early on, but I don't think I stuck with it very long. Yeah, you know, there's only so many nickels I had uh, as a <laughs> yeah. Oh, and the Watcher shows up at the end. Yeah, of course. But like, there's this is the end of the line, right? There's no like further, you know, possible solutions or anything that I assume come out of this, correct? Yeah, no, and this this is the month after Revelations ends. This is the month oh, after wow. the Clone Saga ends. Uh, and the resolution there is like, yeah, uh, the one we thought was Peter was really Peter all along and then died and dissolved. And I guess he was the clone after all. Uh, R.I.P. Bye. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah, pretty you know, much. Sometimes you just have to walk away from the car wreck and, and not try to figure the, it all uh, out. The conclusion, actually, that concluding storyline revelations was in all four of the monthly Spider-Man titles. Mm. When it was collected as a trade paperback, it got an extra 20 pages of kind of interstitial material added just to 
make the pacing a little less weird and jerky. <laughs> mm-hmm. Interesting. You know, there's, there's, there's only a few collections that, that have done that. I think the Corvax saga paperback did that too. Mm, uh-huh. uh, yeah. But uh, it was, it was just like, all right, so we finished the big clone story last month. We are, let, let's, let's not, let us never speak of this again. Um, and, and this is, this is our mea culpa. The funny thing is, so like, this is okay. 1994, you know, it's been decades at some point, somebody's going to come, some writer is going to show up on the scene and go, no, you know, the clone saga was the greatest. And if they haven't already, maybe they uh, have, they have, they have already three times. No. Oh my God. So there is a, (laughs) there's a clone saga that. Bendis, Bendis and Mark Bagley did in Ultimate Spider-Man. Okay, yeah. Which, right, I guess. Uh, so amazing that Bagley, as one of the artists who worked on the original Clone Saga, would work on this. Oh, uh, yeah. Then there is actually a miniseries called uh, Spider-Man Clone Saga. Let me see who it was by real fast. But it is based on the original outline of... Yeah, it's from 2009-2010, based on the original outline of how the story was supposed to go. Ah. And okay. it's a, it's written by Howard Mackey and drawn by Todd Nock. Mm. And it's just, when we planned this as like a little like six or eight part story instead of you know, dozens and dozens and dozens of parts, <laughs> this, uh-huh. is, this is what we had in mind and this is how it was going to end. This is the extra canonical story. Mm. And right now in the Miles Morales Spider-Man series – there is a clone saga with miles going on man yeah so you're still keeping up with all this stuff it sounds like am i correct not, i have not been reading everything since 20 like 2017 was where i drew the line for where i have to read everything wow got up to marvel legacy but i, I kept reading some stuff and i read i read the x books every week wow day they come out love them they're so good right now very cool i like i said i was reading everything DC published for many, many years, which is, you know, between the, the books themselves and like proposals and scripts and things, it was like all I could do to keep up with that. That's a lot. Um, Cause as the marketing guy, it was like, I had to really read everything as opposed to, you know, if you were in the Superman office, you might not read everything coming from the green lantern office or whatever, right. but I've been getting into back into a broader spectrum of comics in the last few months and really enjoying what I'm reading, but that tends to be more indie stuff. And like okay. right now, I, my favorite things are, I'm really excited. I just picked up the new issue of uh, something is killing the children, which oh, is yeah. what a great series, you know, yeah. but I mean, a lot, a lot of stuff like that. The six sidekicks of trigger Keaton, just a lot of goofy stuff. If you haven't read that, it's a lot of fun. I've not read that yet. I need, I need to. It's uh, written by Kyle Starks and uh, he's, he's like an interesting, a really interesting voice. Well, I wonder, is, is there anything else you'd like to say about this fantastic comic? <laughs> it's so odd to see a comic about the comic's creative process and yeah. not even not even the kind of like fictionalized, this is stuff that happened in the past, but this is stuff that we've just been dealing with in the last three months. Yeah. That's so strange and that's so interesting. It is really different i can hardly think of anything like that you know um even those little three or five page stories from the annuals way back in the beginning 
it was a very broad kind of here's how we write Daredevil or whatever. Right, it wasn't right. a really specific problem that addresses the fact that the fans are not happy with the direction the story's been going yeah. in yeah. or or disagreements in the editorial offices, you know. Yeah. So it's it's a really unique beast. So, so let me ask you, actually, as sure. somebody who has worked in these offices, uh-huh. how close is this to the kind of things that actually go on? Like, obviously, it's played for comedy, but is it more or less on, on the mark? Um, I'm not so sure. Like, my experience at Marvel was a long time ago when Bob Harris was like an assistant editor or, you know, he was the new guy. My, my first job out of college, I was an assistant editor at Marvel for a couple of years. And usually this kind of thing would be, generally speaking, not just at Marvel, but usually this kind of thing would be resolved more like by writers than right. by the editors. Right, right. At DC, you know, if you were going to have a con- conversation like this, you you would bring in the writers. Okay. So it's unusual. And I don't know if this is very accurate, except that, look, clearly they were stuck between a rock and a hard place and you know it was all hands on deck to try to figure out how they're going to proceed how they're going to get to the end they even had to get out the slinky <laughs> so, is, is the slinky the thing that is that was real i've certainly never seen bob with it but i assume there was some point where he was you know <laughs> wandering the halls messing around with the slinky you know as a way to, stre- uh, to de-stress like stanley's ocarina yeah <laughs> exactly but I've, I've never seen him with it. And he was, you know, the top editor of DC for quite a few years when I was there. So who knows? If I, maybe when I see him sometime, I will ask him about it because I do run into him once in a while. So anyway, uh, anything else you want to add before we wrap up? I don't think so. Um, thank, <laughs> you. <laughs> thank you so much. This is fun. Great. Well, I really, I really appreciate your time. And, uh, you know, um, let's stay in touch. If you ever suddenly go like, oh, no, I should have talked about this other comic let me know we can always do another episode and i will definitely check out your podcast which reminds me voice of latveria voice of latveria.com yeah nice Very jerry cool. conway was just the guest last week so oh how great yeah that is terrific okay sir well i appreciate it thanks again and thank I'm- you so much thanks for listening to one shot wonders i'll be back next week with another one shot comic Meanwhile, hit the subscribe button, leave me a review, tell your friends, and go buy some comics.